Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. So for the last couple of months, obviously, we've all sort of been stuck at home. And um, I'm quite an introverted, quiet person. I like to find my own space. Um, so <laughs> with um, Marnie and the girls home all the time, I found that space was sort of at a premium. And one of the uh, places I found, I found really that was quite quiet for me that I could think was out on our back patio. Um, even generally when it was a cold day, um, it seemed to be a bit of sort of a heat trap. So I found myself sitting out there um, quite a lot. And I read a whole bunch of stuff. I listened to a whole bunch of podcasts. Um, I started a lecture series on the Sermon on the Mount, um, which was amazing. And I remember after listening to the first episode of that, um, I came inside and Marnie was around. And I, I pretty much said to her, I said, I think I've just heard something that's completely changed my life. Um, it was said in a way that I've really never heard it said before. Um, it got me thinking about um, the Sermon on the Mount in a completely different way which then spoke about me and my relationship with God in a completely different way. And so that doesn't happen very often, at least not to me. And so um, when Dave asked me to speak this morning, he sort of said, just sort of, we're not doing a series at the moment, we'll start one in a couple of weeks. But he said, just speak about something on your heart, and I knew exactly what I was going to speak about. I was going to, I'm going to talk to you about um, sort of what, I discovered. And so we're going to sit in Matthew 5, um, the start of the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes for most of this morning. Um, we don't have someone at the back, so we won't have any words on the screen. So if you have your devices or your Bibles, please turn to Matthew 5 because we will get there in a sec. So when um, we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, so I'm going to concentrate mostly on Matthew 5, verse 3. So, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So this is the, obviously the first verse, and the Sermon on the Mount goes to the end of chapter 7. Um, and one of the things I realised or discovered is that everything sort of hinges on that verse. And so um, one of the ways that the sermon is described or was described to me, which I want to sort of describe to you now, is that it's what they call a golden chain. And so this is how it sort of works. So, well, our Western Greek thinking linear brains want to take the Beatitudes, which is from verse 3 to verse 10 in chapter 5, and make them a list of do's and don'ts and make them a list of how do we then, you know, go about our life and we have sort of like a checklist. And we might go, well, I might try and be merciful today. And so I'm going to work on being merciful. So, but when we start to look at the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes specifically as this chain, it makes us think and helps us think differently about what being merciful actually means. And so... The way that it goes is 
blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the next verse is, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The way that the chain goes is if you don't understand what being, what being poor in spirit means, then you can't understand what mourning truly is. And if you don't understand what mourning truly is, you don't understand what being humble is in the biblical sense. So you can't just pick a line out of it and go, I'm going to work on being pure of heart, although in and of itself that is a noble cause. To be truly pure of heart, you need to understand what it is to show mercy. And to show mercy, truly, you need to understand what it is to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because if we understand what being poor of spirit is, and I'll get to the definition of that in a sec, what that then, how that helps us view who we are, and how that then allows us to see ourselves, then that is what we truly mourn over. And that, in a sense, is what blew my mind. So originally, I had a whole bunch of biblical and cultural sort of context um, leading in uh, to this uh, message. But late on Friday night, I was going through it. It's a bit distracting, isn't it? We're in a disco. But I took it out, the, uh, the cultural context and the biblical context. Now, I'll talk a bit about the Old Testament in a sec. Um, and although it's important and although it will help us, I didn't want us to get bogged down in that. I wanted us to be able to sit in what Jesus is saying here in the Beatitudes. Um, now, I, I like all that sort of stuff, like I'll sit in historical and cultural and biblical context all day. That's, I like that. Um, but it's hard to talk about that for 40 minutes without everyone sort of falling off their chair asleep because um, I'm not that good of a preacher. Um, so I'm going to attempt this morning to explain the three main parts of the first verse or to verse three and try and then tie them together to what that looks like. So what does it mean? The questions I'm going to ask this morning is, what does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? And what is the kingdom of heaven? Has anyone got any kids that need crying right now? That would be a perfect extra distraction. Okay. So blessed. So it's from the Greek word. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, but it is from the Greek word makarios. Makarios. Have I got that right, Doug? Mostly? Yes? Cool. (laughs) Okay, and it can be translated several ways. So (laughs) you didn't know, did you? No. (laughs) And so it can be translated several ways. It can be translated as blessed, obviously. It can be translated as happy. But it's not like... The happy feels. It's more like a happy situation. 
It can be translated as fortunate, but not lucky. There's a Welsh saying that goes, white is their world. And it's an idiom for those for whom everything is good. So the Beatitudes in and of themselves are descriptions or commendations for the good life. Biblical blessedness moves far beyond happy and far beyond our circumstances. Regardless of how a blessed person feels, that person knows that they are approved by God. And a person who is approved by God is a person who is living in right relationship with him. And that's what it means to be blessed. So it's not about our circumstances. It's not about how we feel. It's about our situation and our relationship with Christ. Poor in spirit. Now, poor in spirit does not mean financially poor alone. It does mean that, but it doesn't mostly mean that. To understand uh, what poor means, we sort of need to look excuse me, at the Old Testament doctrine of who the poor actually are. Now, the poor are what you would consider poor in the t- typical sense is what you would think. So they are people who couldn't trust in their riches and therefore they had to turn their trust to God. And so when the Old Testament writers pronounce the blessing of the poor or on the poor, it's not because they don't have any money. It's because that the Old Testament uses people's poverty as an avenue to God. And so when people looked at themselves as being poor, the Old Testament continually over and over and over again calls them blessed. Because the Old Testament over and over and over again describes a God who is on the side of those who are poor, on the side of those who are oppressed, on the side of those who are downcast. And that is the avenue in which they draw them, that in which God draws them to himself. And that is their only means of salvation. So when we start to talk about the being poor in spirit in the context of who we are today, It's a recognition of who we are. And who we are is spiritually bankrupt. So someone who is spiritually bankrupt and recognises that position, they have an admission of unworthiness and complete dependence on God. There's an old song, hymn. I had to look it up because I'd never heard of it before. It's called Rock of Ages from 1763. Get it on. Aaron, where are you? Hey? There's a line in it that says, Nothing in my hand I bring 
simply to the cross I cling. That is the definition of what being poor in spirit is. It's a person who understands that they have nothing to give and nothing to exchange for their soul. It goes a bit further than that. Someone who is poor in spirit holds no value in what the world holds value in. Wealth, position, success, failure. Someone who is poor in spirit stands empty before God and naked before the world and says that I have nothing to either commend me or to condemn me. And the thing is, being poor in spirit never changes. This side of eternity, we are never in a position where we are not that. We never get into a position where we can exchange anything for our souls. We are never in a position where we can earn it. We are never in a position where we can pay enough for it. And when we start to look at God's righteousness and his grace and his mercy, it is to be understood in that light. And there are two types of people in this world. Regardless of their wealth, regardless of their personal achievement, there are those who are poor, wretched and blind, and they know it. The second type of person is someone who is poor, wretched and blind, and they don't know it. But everyone is poor, wretched and blind. And for people who understand that, for people who know that they are poor, wretched and blind, the pronouncement for them is blessing. And the pronouncement of that for them is the kingdom of heaven. So what is the kingdom of heaven? This is where the now sort of not yet thinking helps or concept, the already but not yet. Let me give you an example. When we become a Christian, we are declared sanctified, holy. However, anyone who knows their own heart knows that they're not holy. It's a journey that we're on. It's a now, not yet. So we have a sense or we have a declaration over us when we become Christians, when we declare Christ as Lord, that we are now holy because of his holiness. But it is something that we are working out on a daily, on a minute, on a every second basis, that we are moving towards holiness. And that is something that we won't achieve in and of us. Well, we'll never achieve it in and of ourselves until Christ returns. So that's the now, not yet scenario. So when we start to look at what the kingdom of heaven is, has the kingdom of heaven come? Yes. 
Yes, it has. It came in the person and work of Christ. Has the kingdom of heaven fully come? Not yet. It will ultimately be fulfilled at the end of time. Now, the kingdom of heaven is not a place per se. There is a spatial aspect to it. When I am living under the kingship of God and through my witness, through my teaching, through my ministry, there the kingdom of heaven is present. When a group of believers are together praying and worshipping together and declaring that Christ is king, there the kingdom of heaven is present. The kingdom of heaven is present right now. It is in our midst. And it is a spatial place because we are here. But have, has it come fully? Not yet. The new heavens and the new earth will be the time when the kingdom of heaven comes in its full. It begins with those who are disciples of Christ. It is present where we are present. But it is a precursor to what's going to be um, fully realised when Jesus comes. So how do we define, in a sense, what the kingdom of heaven is? So it's a spiritual realm in which God reigns and is the fulfilment of God's will here on earth. Broken down a tiny bit more for those who are writing down, it is the rule and reign of God in your life. That is the kingdom of heaven. So if you are living in recognition that Jesus is king, if you are living in recognition that Jesus is saviour, if you love God with all your heart, mind and soul, and if you love your neighbour as yourself, that is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is where we get into the text a bit. So the lecture series that I was listening to, or I'm still listening to because there's lots of episodes and they're really long, uh, was by a guy called Bill Mounts or William Mounts, M-O-U-N-C-E. Now, he's a Greek scholar. So if you go to seminary and you learn how to speak Greek and read biblical Greek, he is the guy who wrote the book. Um, if you're reading an ESV or an NIV, he's the guy or one of the guys on that panel that decides what words it uses. So he's pretty influential and he knows his stuff. And so Bill Mounts in his lecture says that there's an emphasis in all of the, the first well, 10 verses of the Beatitudes from verse 3 to 10. It's a slight emphasis, but there's an emphasis nonetheless. So verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. According to him, our English translations misses the emphasis. 
it should read, or can be translated to read, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for to them and them alone is the kingdom of heaven. If I was to go down the rest of the Beatitudes, let's state it a different way. Only, the only people in the kingdom of heaven are those who are poor in spirit. The only people who are comforted are those who mourn. The only people who inherit the earth are the humble. The only people filled are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The only ones who are going to be shown mercy are those who show mercy. The only ones who will see God are the pure in heart. Only the peacemakers will be called sons of God. And the only ones who are in the kingdom of heaven are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. It's a bit in your face, isn't it? There's a couple of others that give us a flavour of that. In Matthew chapter 6, from verse 9 to 13, is the Lord's Prayer. A Father in heaven, your name be honoured as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The only those who forgive are forgiven themselves. Chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. Do not judge so that you won't be judged, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you'll be measured by the same measure you use. In Matthew 18, from verse 23, Jesus gives a parable of the unrepentant servant. Now, a master is trying to sort out, or he's trying to, so let me just read it, that'll help. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. So I'm reading from verse now 24. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed him 10,000 talents, which is millions of dollars in our economy, was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, be patient with me and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him and forgave him the loan. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which is the equivalent of 10 cents. 
He grabbed him, started choking him and said, pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you have also had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that he owed. Pay attention. So also my heavenly father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister's from his heart. The Lord's Prayer. And forgive our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is a difficult passage, but it's something that we all have to wrestle with. We never stop being poor in spirit. We just become more and more aware of it. It's like when you first become a Christian, it's like standing outside in the dark. You can see the big things. Shadows of stuff. And God starts to work on those things. And then as you walk your walk with him, the light starts to rise. You start to be able to see in more detail. And then as the light rises more and more, more detail is able to be seen. And God is able to work on more and more stuff for us. We never stop being poor in spirit. We just become more aware of our poverty. And that's what grace is all about. And we'll never really understand this on this side of eternity. What does saved by grace even mean? What does Jesus dying on the cross for me really mean? We say the words but we'll never really understand what it means this side of eternity. But I believe it's true. So the Sermon on the Mount's dripping with grace, though. It's unnerving. It's offensive. But we need to remember that Jesus never rejects his disciples who miserably fail, yet repent. The Gospel narratives constantly show Jesus embracing those who humble themselves, acknowledging God's right to rule, even if in practice they fall short of the goal. That's the kingdom of grace. It transforms those who meekly embrace it, just as it crushes the arrogant, the religious, and the socially satisfied. I'm almost done.
you remember what I said before about the poverty in the Old Testament? That it was an avenue in which God drew people to himself. God was their only means of salvation. And nothing has changed for us today. The Sermon on the Mount is the agenda for kingdom people who want to work in the kingdom. The poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those hungering for justice, the merciful, the pure-hearted, the peacemakers, and the persecuted are not only blessed, but in and through their vulnerability and weakness, they are the ones precisely through whom Jesus intends blessings to flow to others and to transform the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you call us to this life. We thank you that you call us to this journey with you. We thank you that although we fall down over and over and over again, you enable us to get up and you strengthen us for the journey. Heavenly Father, I pray that you speak to people in this room this morning. That you minister to them. That being poor in spirit is not a condemnation. It's not something that we should feel guilty about. But it's the way in which that you draw us to yourself. And it is the way in which you use us. Heavenly Father, I pray that everyone in this room this morning has clarity of thought and that you bug them about this all week. That they check and test their heart. That they don't sit back and go, well, that doesn't apply to me. Help them realise, Lord, that we are all broken and naked and poor. And it is through that that you do your work. Thank you, Lord.